Now, I know there's an experience problem because lack of experience. Yeah, that is a problem, isn't it? Yes, it is. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's one reason. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Nope. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on KSO, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans' WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We are also heard streaming coast-to-coast every day around the globe on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. All-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, Desi Doyen, I think Donald Trump is not just messing with all of our heads. <laughs> I think he is now also messing with uh, the time-space continuum itself. Oh, really? Yes, I do. I A couple of... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think, uh, we had uh, Carol Muffett on the show from the Center for International, International Environmental Law. Yeah. And we were talking about the fact that Shell Oil knew as far back as 1958 about the threat of global warming and climate change from burning their products, etc. And in the introduction of that segment, I had noted that last year we had found that Exxon had similarly found out about uh, the 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 threat of burning fossil fuels and causing climate change uh, decades ago. Uh, but in truth, after the show, I sat down and figured it out. It wasn't last year that we had heard that news that Exxon knew. Right. It wasn't 2017 after all. It wasn't. All. <laughs> it wasn't 2016 either. Yep. It was actually 2015. That's when we uh, covered that story. More than three years ago. And I thought it was late last year. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think he's messing with the time-space continuum because then when I looked at uh, when we last had our uh, our friend Mark Joseph Stern, legal reporter from Slate, on, I thought that was just a few months ago. I know it's been a while. Turns out it was last November that wow. we had Mark Joseph Stern on. We will rectify that today. We Indeed. will have a legal lightning round on a bunch of cases being heard this week at the U.S. Supreme Court and some other cases around the country on everything from gerrymandering to pretend voter fraud 
to Donald Trump's anti-Muslim travel bans. That's coming up. He'll be joining us shortly. But let me jump in here for the moment. This is uh, brought to my attention by Walter Eininkel of uh, Daily Coast late last week. He writes that Trump's choice to dismantle net neutrality regulations, that would be FCC Chair Ajit Pai, is losing one of his dubious cronies. The Wall Street Journal reports that Elizabeth Ann Pierce, former CEO of Alaska Telecommunications, has been arrested on allegations she forged contracts to the tune of $250 million. Pierce was allegedly uh, had allegedly convinced investment companies that the firm had secured contracts for a high speed fiber optic system that would generate hundreds of millions of dollars in future revenue, according to the Manhattan U.S. Attorney's Office and the FBI. U.S. Attorney Jeff Beeman said in prepared remarks, as it turned out, those sales agreements were worthless because the customers had not signed them. Instead, as alleged, Pierce had forged counterparty signatures on contract after contract, according to the U.S. attorney. Pierce was tapped by Ajit Pai in April of last year to be the chair of the Broadband Deployment Advisory Committee for the FCC, which Pai had formed to accelerate the deployment of high-speed Internet access or broadband by reducing and removing regulatory barriers to infrastructure investment. But apparently, when he loaded up this broadband deployment advisory committee that he formed, apparently he didn't bother to vet anyone before he put these executives, they're all telecom executives just about. Of course onto, they are. Of course they are. Because it's really this, about yep. deregulation. It's not really about uh, spreading uh, broadband because they could have done that on their own. Right. In spite of other more qualified city officials uh, who already use broadband uh, in, in cities around the country, he put on all of these telecom executives. Santa Monica city worker Gary Carter, a man who has overseen one of the oldest municipal broadband networks in America, Uh, He found out he would not be on, even though he has experience in this field, he would not be on the uh, on this committee. He said, when I called the FCC to check on the status of the BDAC selection process earlier this year and identified myself as an employee from the city of Santa Monica out here in California. The gentleman on the phone laughed hysterically, Carter said, according to the Daily Beast. He said, at first I didn't get the joke, and then when I saw the appointees for the municipal working group, only three out of 24 positions were actually from local government. When I saw that, he said, I got the joke. Yeah. They're not putting on people who have actual experience in this. They are putting on telecom executives who are going to make millions and millions of dollars unless they get arrested first because Ajit Pai did not bother to actually vet these people before he put them on the committee. Oh, you know, only the best people. That's it. Only the best people for this uh, administration, as Donald Trump has told us over and over again. Which brings us to what appears uh, now or soon or very shortly, if not already, by the time you hear my voice, to be another failed appointment by the Donald Trump administration. U.S. Senate Veterans Affairs Committee on Monday in uh, in the U.S. Senate, they announced they were delaying a planned confirmation hearing 
On Wednesday, for Navy Admiral Ronnie Jackson, President Donald Trump's personal White House physician and his pick to be the Secretary of Veterans Affairs, Spokesman Amanda Maddox of that committee in uh, the Senate said there were growing questions from lawmakers over Jackson's qualifications. He had uh, been selected by Trump, uh, Admiral Jackson had, to head the VA last month after Trump had fired VA Secretary David Shulkin following an ethics scandal and mounting rebellion within the agency over him. But Jackson has since faced numerous questions from Republicans and Democratic lawmakers alike about whether he has the experience to manage the massive department of some 360,000 employees who serve some 9 million veterans. Our friend John Fugelsang uh, tweeted, It's a sad day when a sycophant like Ronnie Jackson can flatter Donald Trump for a whole year and still not get a cushy new job that he's totally unqualified for, like so many unvetted grovelers did before him. <laughs> well, over the past 24 hours, it has emerged that it is not just Ronnie Jackson's lack of experience in handling a huge agency, federal agency, uh, that has put Jackson's nominations on the rocks. The ranking Democrat on the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee told reporters today that the hearing for Trump's VA nominee would move forward only once the committee concludes whether Jackson is, quote, fit to serve or not. The committee is currently reviewing allegations that were raised about a week ago relating to Jackson's workplace conduct. Ranking Democratic Senator John Tester of Montana said on Tuesday that while he wouldn't confirm the nature of the allegations, there are, quote, a lot of things we're looking into. A letter was sent by Tester and the Republican chair of the Veterans Affairs Committee uh, asking for all documentation to uh, Rear Admiral Jackson's service in the White House medical unit and as a physician to the president, according to NBC. Several news outlets reported that the current and former staff in the White House medical unit unit have complained about Jackson for a, quote, hostile work environment. CBS reported that staffers complained about Jackson for alleged excessive drinking on the job and improperly dispensing meds. So it appears they did absolutely no vetting for this guy other than the fact that, oh, Donald Trump likes him because uh, after his recent physical that uh, Jackson put him through, uh, Jackson said Trump was in great shape. So uh, that is apparently enough to try and promote him to head up the second largest federal agency in the country after Trump reportedly had been trying to talk Jackson into taking this job in the first place. Well, that that may not uh, be working out very well during a joint news conference on Tuesday with visiting French President Emmanuel Macron. Trump said that, uh, well, <clears throat> you know, yes, uh, the White House, we had uh, had uh, supported him previously. But now it's really it's totally Jackson's own decision whether he wants to whether he wants to get out of this thing entirely. Otherwise, they'll they'll stand behind him. They said uh, Trump said Jackson is one of the finest people I have met. But other than that, uh, he said this is up to Jackson. Now, I know there's an experience 
problem because lack of experience, but there's an experience problem. The Veterans Administration is very important to me. We've done a great job with it, as you know, with the Accountability Act and many other things. Now we're working on choice. It's going to happen. I told Admiral Jackson just a little while ago, I said, what do you need this for? This is a vicious group of people that malign, and they do, and I live through it. We all live through it. But I said, what do you need it for? He's an admiral. He's a great leader. And they question him about every little thing. Great doctor, great everything. And he has to listen to the abuse that he has to. I wouldn't, if I were him, actually, in many ways, I'd love to be him. But the fact is, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. What does he need it for? To be abused by a bunch of politicians that aren't thinking nicely about our country? I really don't think personally he should do it, but it's totally his. I would stand behind him. Totally his so, decision. So he, but, but he asked him to do it. I know. <laughs> reportedly, he had been asking him for some time to agree to do this. Uh. Jackson agreed. And now Trump is like, well, I don't even know why he'd want this job. So that sound you heard was uh, Donald Trump throwing his own VA secretary nominee under the bus, I think. Uh, as I said, Republicans and Democrats alike have been questioning this uh, this nomination, wondering what, if any, vetting the White House does. Susan Collins, Republican of Maine, wondered, oh, is this an aberration or is this something that bears looking into? As far as the lack of vetting, that she doesn't know by now, this is not an aberration. He vets no one. She cited uh, the concerns about uh, EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt and whether he was vetted. More on that, by the way, in our Green News report coming up a little bit later with Desi Doyen. But the White House, they do no vetting. None whatsoever. Whatever right wing heritage foundation and, and Federalist Society, whoever they tell them to nominate, that's who Donald Trump nominates or whoever he happens to personally know and he sort of likes that's who he nominates they don't do any actual vetting nominating his own white house doctor to head the va is like when george w bush nominated his own personal lawyer harriet myers to be a supreme court justice and that nomination similarly went down in flames as i suspect this one will as well as we go to air, breaking news from AP on this, that a 2012 Inspector General report suggested removing VA nominee Ronnie Jackson and a rival from their White House roles. The watchdog report uh, says that uh, Jackson was in a power struggle with a rival doctor and exhibited, quote, unprofessional behaviors. So, yeah, they vet no one. Uh, this they could have found from the inspector general, but they didn't. They also don't vet their own policies either, as well as their nominees. They don't vet their policies to make sure they're actually lawful and constitutional before they issue them. But given the fact that they stole a majority on the U.S. Supreme Court, maybe that may not actually matter. We'll take a quick break here. We're back with legal reporter Mark Joseph Stern of Slate.com on some Long-awaited key cases finally being heard this week at the U.S. Supreme Court and some other cases around the country. Our legal lightning round with Mark Joseph Stern is next. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. (laughs) 
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Yeah, we all better. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. On Tuesday, the U.S. Supreme Court heard oral arguments in Perez v. Abbott, a racial gerrymandering case in Texas, where lower courts have found the congressional and state house maps instituted by Republicans in the great state of Texas after the 2010 census were discriminatory on a racial basis. But the U.S. Supreme Court may feel otherwise. On Wednesday, the U.S. Supreme Court finally hears oral arguments in Trump v. Hawaii, a case regarding Donald Trump's attempted travel bans and whether anti-Muslim comments that Trump made during his campaign demonstrate that his attempted bans are unconstitutionally discriminatory, as lower courts have found, or if a president has the right to determine visa and immigration policy for purported national security reasons, however he sees fit, whether it's unconstitutionally discriminatory, as lower courts have determined, or whether, once again, the U.S. Supreme Court may feel otherwise. Those two cases come on top of a host of other important cases both at the Supreme Court and around the country, that we haven't been able to adequately cover in recent weeks with everything else going on, when for months, inexcusably, we haven't had our friend and legal journalist Mark Joseph Stern on the show for reasons that are not entirely clear to me. So we will make up for that Mark Joseph Stern deficit today, as I hope to do a bit of a legal lightning round on as many of these uh, recent matters that he and I can possibly fit in. Mark Joseph Stern covers the law, the court system, the Supreme Court, LGBT, LGBTQ issues, and much more for Slate.com. And he also happens to be one of my own personal favorite and most incisive legal journalists in the business. Mark Joseph Stern, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thanks so much for having me back on after that uh, hiatus. My apologies. All is forgiven. I'm sorry for, uh, for to my audience that you haven't been here, Mark. <laughs> Appreciate uh, it. We will make up for it with our uh, legal lightning round here as much as possible, even though some of these cases are, as usual, complicated. Let's start here with Perez versus Abbott. This is uh, heard on Tuesday at the Supreme Court, a Texas racial gerrymandering case, long-running seven-year case at this point concerning Texas's racial gerrymandering of congressional and state house maps. What is at stake in, uh, in this case, Mark? 
Well, as usual, one thing at stake is the legitimacy of Texas's uh, districts in both uh, congressional districts and state house, as you said, because these maps, if you take one look at them, look very clearly to be a racial gerrymander. Uh, these districts are drawn in a way that slices and dices uh, Texas's minority population, uh, as usual, in an effort to cram as many Latinos into as few districts as possible, and then to distribute the rest of them throughout a deep red district mm -hmm. to give Republicans a solid hold uh, on as many districts as possible, which has been a success. As you mentioned, these maps have been litigated for seven years now. This is possibly, though not definitely, uh, the kind of finale of this long-running litigation. Uh, and the Supreme Court heard arguments on Tuesday. I was not able to go, but I did review the transcript. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, but predictably, uh, it does not look good for the challengers. Uh, it looks as if uh, Justice Neil Gorsuch uh, will cast that fifth vote to uphold the current racist maps. Uh, and unfortunately, he's actually kind of already done so. Uh, the lower court struck down these maps and ruled that they constituted uh, an unlawful racial gerrymander in violation of the Voting Rights Act and the Equal Protection Clause, uh, but the Supreme Court waded in, uh, and by a five to four vote several months ago, the court preserved these maps uh, through at least the 2018 election. So the stakes here are a little bit smaller than they might have been, because even if the court does strike down these maps, which seems unlikely, it would only affect the 2020 election. Mm. Thanks to the Supreme Court's premature intervention, uh, the current racist maps are set for 2018. And it's, it, it's remarkable that it has taken this many years. I mean, even if this does come out favorably for those challenging this map, we're talking about, well, pretty much the entire 10 years since the last census that they will have been able to get away with this, it seems. I mean, does this doesn't this prove that our system just moves way too slow, at least to keep up with the modern uh, electoral gaming that's going on, Mark? Yes, absolutely. But that gaming has also leaked into the judiciary and uh, Texas in fighting to preserve these maps has played a lot of games to slow down this litigation as much as possible, uh, and they have unfortunately succeeded to the point that maps drawn years and years ago are only reaching SCOTUS in 2018. And these were uh, conservative courts, correct, uh, that had found that these were in fact racial gerrymanders that the Supreme Court now appears to be ready to uh, uh, toss out? Well, they, they were ideologically mixed, uh, mm -hmm. but by no means were these decisions handed down by uh, extremely liberal judges. These are moderate, uh, careful judges who spent uh, hundreds of pages, actually, in their several rulings, going through an immense amount uh, of evidence illustrating that Texas's actual intent uh, in drawing these maps was to preserve um, really white supremacy in the legislature and in the congressional delegation. Uh, but, you know, in terms of this Republican supremacy, this is uh, another issue that uh, sort of bleeds into partisan gerrymandering. Mm -hmm. 
separating racial and political gerrymandering is kind of an arbitrary thing to do, although for whatever reason the courts have continued to try it. Uh, and so, yes, it would be wrong to say this was just a bunch of really crazy runaway liberal judges redrawing maps to help Democrats. No, this was a very careful lower court looking at all the evidence and saying, you know what, this was race-based. It was designed not just to help Republicans, but to help white people uh, and really white legislators maintain their hold on power. And uh, thanks to the stolen U.S. Supreme Court, it looks like uh, they may very well get away with it. We had uh, author and, and gerrymandering expert David Daly on the show uh, a few weeks ago after the recent Supreme Court hearings on, uh, there were two different ones, I guess, one on uh, Wisconsin case and a Maryland case on partisan gerrymandering. Uh, and while racial ma- gerrymandering at least has been found to be unlawful by the court at various times in the in the past, uh, partisan gerrymandering, gerrymanders for purely partisan reasons, uh, have not been struck down by the Supreme Court. Uh, Dave Daly is not not encouraged after uh, the, the the recent hearing at the U.S. Supreme Court on partisan gerrymandering. Uh, do you concur with Daly's assessment that it does not look like uh, partisan gerrymandering is going to be struck down and we could be facing this for at least another generation at this point? Well, sadly, I, am, uh, I, I share that lack of optimism. I did sit in on both oral arguments on partisan gerrymandering, both the Wisconsin case uh, in October mm-hmm. and the Maryland case just last month. Uh, and it really does not look encouraging. Justice Kennedy obviously will cast Uh, the key vote in this case, in both cases, uh, and he seemed very confused and disheartened, uh, especially in the more recent case, Mm. searching for a workable standard to gauge when a partisan gerrymander uh, is so extreme that it violates the First Amendment. We know Kennedy recognizes the democratic principles at stake here. He has written quite eloquently uh, about how partisan gerrymandering punishes voters uh, for their political expression and association and how that uh, trammels core First Amendment values. Uh, And yet, he seems to be very, very shy about articulating a clear standard for courts to use uh, to strike down these gerrymanders, which is just so frustrating because, uh, once again, the the conservative justices are so concerned about preserving states' abilities to draw their own district lines uh, and so unconcerned, for the most part, about voters' ability to cast uh, you know, a fully effective ballot in a fair district. There's just such a perversion of priorities here. You know, again today, we saw the conservative justices saying, well, what about the state? What about state legislators who draw these maps? Don't they deserve some deference? And yet the, the voters who are suffering under these maps are barely mentioned at all. So it's very frustrating to be in this yep. field right now because it feels like we could be on the brink of a real revolution. It feels like there could be progress to be made here. And yet, once again, Kennedy, uh, always in the middle, always drawing out, agonizing over these deliberations, does not look to be tilting the right mm. way. I hope you are wrong. I hope Dave Daly is wrong. But I fear uh, both of you are are right. It's also frustrating because they, you know, as you note, Mark, they talk about these legislators who, uh, you know, their right to draw these lines. Well, those legislators were chosen by these bad lines that these legislators themselves have drawn essentially to protect themselves. So it's it's really perverse. 
well, n- not much good news there. Let's. Uh, this uh, this may be more fun for you, Mark. Uh, the ACLU and uh, Kansas's Secretary of State Chris Kobach, the infamous GOP voter fraud fraudster. Um, that case a couple of weeks ago, that trial was actually held uh, concerning his attempt to prevent voters from registering. To, uh, to well, from being on uh, added to the rolls at all, even if they registered to vote, if they do not provide proof of citizenship papers, that has resulted in tens of thousands of otherwise perfectly legal voters being kept off the rolls. Uh, that case a few weeks ago, Mark, was kind of impossible to cover because Kobach was representing himself, and each day in that uh, hearing, in the in that trial, there was one disaster after another being reported. It was kind of like trying to cover Scott Pruitt's corruption at the EPA these days. I mean, it's impossible to keep up with. So was Chris Kobach's Kansas trial in that case as disastrous as it seemed? Uh, yes, and and even more so. Uh, it was a complete train wreck for Chris Kobach. From the very beginning, it was clear that he had not prepared for this trial. He had not done his homework. He did not understand the basic rules uh, of trial procedure and just made one egregious error after the other. You know, even before this trial began, uh, Kobach had been fined by the court $1,000 for making misleading representations. Uh, he had been accused by the judge of trying to railroad uh, the ACLU, who are the plaintiffs, or, or uh, mm-hmm. they are representing the plaintiffs in this case. Right. Uh, and it only got worse once trial began. The judge repeatedly reprimanded Kobach. Uh, she is, by the way, a George W. Bush appointee, right. uh, but a very fair-minded judge who kept having to explain these basic rules uh, to Kobach as he attempted over and over again to slip in this absurd, discredited, quote-unquote, evidence of voter fraud. Uh, It was extremely painful for him, uh, especially after Dale Ho, who uh, is the ACLU's voting rights guru, Mm -hmm. started interrogating Kobach's witnesses uh, because they began to admit one by one that their studies were absolute garbage, uh, that they had no idea what they were actually doing, that their claims were uh, egregiously inflated. Uh, And by the time the trial ended, it really felt like Kobach had committed an egregious, a major own. He had gone into that trial thinking he was going to prove once and for all that voter fraud was real, and he left that trial having inadvertently proved that it wasn't real, that it isn't real. He undermined all of the evidence that he had worked so hard to build up. Uh, so it was a great trial for voting rights advocates, not such a good trial for those who run around screaming about voter fraud. And we don't yet have a, a, a ruling in that case, although the uh, judge uh, as you say, a, a George W. Bush appointee uh, dinged him a second time. This this federal court, uh, he was dinged a second time for contempt just last week as part of all of this. How bad is it, uh, uh, Mark, for people who aren't in the legal profession, how bad is it to be uh, hit with contempt of court, essentially, by a federal court two different times? Uh, well, really, in any case, much less the, the same case. 
I mean, it's a huge blow to uh, your authority as a lawyer, to your trustworthiness as a lawyer, to your ethical standing as an attorney, uh, even if you're just a lawyer in private practice. Mm -hmm. And that's not what Kobach is, of course. He is the attorney general. uh, uh, Sorry, he is the secretary of state uh, of Kansas, and uh, he wants to be governor. Uh, He's going to have to face a crowded GOP primary. None of this is going to help him. Um, it's a huge deal to be held in contempt. Uh, practically, it's a huge boon to the ACLU because one of Kobach's punishments uh, is to fork over attorney's fees to the ACLU. Mm-hmm. So Kobach's own misconduct is going to end up enriching his opponents. Um, but it's also just embarrassing because uh, the judge's order, which is quite lengthy, uh, really lays out in, in uh, painstaking detail how Kobach and his office tried to lie to the court. You know, very early on after the judge issued a preliminary injunction blocking this law, she told Kobach in no uncertain terms, you need to register all of these voters, 17,000 voters who have been suspended from voting because they couldn't provide proof of citizenship. And Kobach refused to do it, and then he lied about it. Not only did he lie about it, he instructed his staffers to lie about it, and their cover stories fell apart under oath in court. It was just an absolute humiliation <laughs> yes. for this guy. I almost felt sorry for him, but of course I didn't really. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, you describe uh, in your article about this, uh, it's headlined, The Humiliation of Chris Kobach. Kobach uh, in in your recent piece at Slate, uh, but it you know brings to mind how can someone who has no actual shame actually be humiliated here? Uh, it also brings to to mind the question you know how it is that Kobach is actually still considered uh, a front runner, if not the front runner. Uh, in the state's gubernatorial race as he's trying to get that uh, Kansas nomination to become the next governor, given all of the shame that he has faced, not just in this trial, but also uh, heading up uh, Trump's uh, failed so-called election integrity commission that they had to shut down because they were constantly getting sued and losing. it's, it's, It's kind of amazing. I hope folks in Kansas take note. Um, well, I yeah. think it's going to be also like a fascinating moment for the Republican Party because here we have a Republican governor of Kansas who is running again, right, who wants to win this primary. Will he use Kobach's failure uh, to prove voter fraud against him in the race? He hasn't yet, but it seems quite possible to me that with the polling remains close, that the current governor will try to use this as a wedge issue, which would really be the sort of final humiliation for Kobach. Mm. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it because for so long we've seen Republicans all speak in one voice on this issue, mm-hmm. right? Oh, of course there's voter fraud. Of course aliens are swinging our elections. Wouldn't it be great if it took Chris Kobach failing publicly <laughs> over and over again to finally pry a few Republicans away from that party line yeah. and say, you know what, this isn't a real issue, and this guy was just exploiting it for political gain. I'm not, don't hold your breath for his Republican opponents uh, to, to, to do that, but boy, that would be nice. All right, speaking of, uh, speaking of which, as we continue our legal lightning round here with Mark Joseph Stern of Slate, Uh, One of uh, Chris Kobach's uh, GOP voter fraud fraudster buddies and colleagues is in some trouble. Similarly, up in Virginia, where a uh, voter fraud, well, 
uh, victims of this uh, group, Public Interest Legal Foundation, or PILF. I call them PILFers. Uh, they are led by a, a Kobach colleague in crime here. This would be J. Christian Adams, uh, another infamous uh, voter fraud fraudster and a fan favorite on Fox News. Um, these people who Christ, uh, Adams and this group PILF have had accused of being uh, unlawful voters are now pushing back. They are suing Adams and that legal foundation using the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871 to challenge yep. what they did? Uh, and it might sound kind of crazy, but it actually makes perfect sense. Listen, this guy, J. Christian Adams, he is uh, not an above-board character, as you might guess. Uh, and one of the many things that he and PILF have done is publish these bizarre reports claiming that there are thousands of non-citizens voting in Virginia, and they attach to these reports information uh, about all of these alleged non-citizens, including their full names, their home addresses, their home phone numbers, and their social security numbers. Mm. And guess what? This will come as no surprise. These people were citizens. They were citizens who cast lawful ballots, uh, and J. Christian Adams falsely uh, maligns them as alien voter fraudsters. Uh, and now they are fighting back. Uh, a group of these uh, poor voters who were slandered by Adams have filed this lawsuit against him and his group uh, for defamation, yes, which is sort of an obvious one. But they're also suing under the Ku Klux Klan Act, which is a law passed during Reconstruction uh, that allows private citizens to file lawsuits against individuals who conspire to intimidate them and prevent them from voting, uh, which is exactly what Adams did here, right? He and his group took these people, saw that they had foreign-sounding last names, they happened to be racial minorities, mm -hmm. uh, and decided to put them up on the Internet as uh, non-citizen felons who were casting illegal ballots. Now these people say they're frightened to cast a ballot. They're afraid that people will come to their house with pitchforks. They're afraid to run for office. They're afraid to exercise their political rights because there is still out there on the web false information accusing them of voting fraudulently. Mm. And that sounds a lot like the kind of conspiracy uh, to disenfranchise individuals mm. or intimidate them out of voting that the Ku Klux Klan Act was passed to prevent. Mm. So they have a very strong case here. I think they have an airtight case for defamation. Uh, they're also suing under the Voting Rights Act, which similarly um, prohibits uh, individuals from uh, intimidating people out of exercising their right to vote. Uh, it's just a, an incredibly interesting case and so satisfying to see these guys have to answer in court for all that they've said and done for so long. It's, it's great to see the victims of their slander fighting back in such a powerful way. It sure is. And for folks who don't realize uh, this group, uh, PILF, there are two reports that they issued where they named all of these people improperly. Well, the first one was titled, titled Alien Invasion in Virginia. Uh, and the second one was Alien Invasion 2, suggesting that there were these uh, this army of undocumented immigrants signing up to vote and actually voting and I guess, you know, giving their own address where they live despite being uh, undocumented. Uh, it's it's crazy. And by the way, we are seeing the same thing, I think, in Arizona uh, on Tuesday. Uh, there's a special U.S. House election there and the GOP had uh, put out a, a notice of illegal voting. 
with uh, without IDs in Phoenix in order to sort of scare people uh, before or at least set the groundwork before the uh, election, uh, you know, in, in case they need to challenge it afterwards. They've already put it in place. The same thing they did in Virginia. They just make these wild claims. Yep. Um, that turn out to be stuff and nonsense. All right, so there's some uh, somewhat happier news there. Let's return to the sad stories. Trump, <laughs> Trump v. Hawaii. This is uh, Trump's travel ban. Um, his bans. This is the third one. Uh, they have been struck down uh, and revised time and again, three times now, I believe. The latest inter- iteration uh, ba- bans a travel uh, or most uh, travelers from, I believe, seven different countries, most of them Muslim majority nations. Lower courts have been blocking it, but the Supreme Court. Uh, has let this travel ban stand until having a chance to hear the case. That finally happens on Wednesday. What does that case focus on? What's at stake, Mark? And um, what should we expect from Wednesday's hearing and the case's ultimate outcome here? Yeah, so there are two primary arguments against the travel ban in its current iteration, right? It has been cleaned up somewhat from the first edition, which you may remember spawned chaos at airports across the country mm-hmm. and had essentially no legal vetting. It was uh, typed out by Stephen Miller two minutes before it was announced. Yeah. Um, this version has more pretext that seems to justify it, uh, and that worries me a lot. Um, but the, the two arguments are still quite strong, I think. The first... Uh, is that Congress did not delegate to the president uh, the authority to block 150 million people, because that's how many people are affected by this order, 150 million people from entering the country. Look, the Constitution assigns Congress with the authority to make immigration law. And what Trump is doing with this order is not really interpreting or implementing a law on the books. He is making up his own new law. Uh, And you might expect that the judges who were so offended by Barack Obama's programs for undocumented youth uh, would be, you know, aghast at this uh, excessive uh, exercise of executive power, um, but it doesn't look like the court's going to come out right on that issue. Uh, the second uh, argument against the law is that it is anti-Muslim animus, and that's very straightforward. All throughout Trump's campaign, as we know, uh, he promised a Muslim ban, he said he'd give us a Muslim ban. Rudy Giuliani said this is the best version of a Muslim ban that the administration could dream up. Trump has continued to spout disgusting Islamophobic remarks uh, on his Twitter feed. Uh, And so the the plaintiffs here argue, look, this is just a Muslim ban by any other name. The vast majority of individuals who are affected by it are Muslim. This is the president inflicting his anti-Muslim animus on 150 million people who should be able to enter this country if they go through the proper processes. Uh, And unfortunately, there too, I mean, you know, the fact that the court let this version take effect in December by a 7 to 2 vote, no less, suggests to me that we should not be optimistic that the justices will strike down this, this travel ban. I mean, there is a possibility, no doubt. I do not want to rain on everyone's parade too hard, uh, but the fact that the oh, justices... Oh, sure, sure, sure you that. don't, Mark. Your, uh, <laughs> your, your article is headlined, Trump's going to win. <laughs> Sounds like you're kind of uh, 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 raining on everyone's parade here, Mark. 
Look, I'm just trying to lower expectations because this court, especially the conservatives, because I think if the liberal justices had that majority that they should have with Merrick Garland, Mm -hmm. uh, I think that they would absolutely strike this down. But justices like Anthony Kennedy and Chief Justice John Roberts, you know, first of all, they do not want to accuse the sitting president of Islamophobia, which they are required to do if they hold that this violates uh, the First Amendment by discriminating against Muslims. Uh, and second, these guys, they just, they are partisan in many ways. I hate to say it, uh, they are not as bad as someone like Gorsuch, but they are partisan, and they see Trump differently from Obama. They were happy to step in and block Obama's attempts to defer deportation for the parents of undocumented, uh, for undocumented use, uh, and the parents who are undocumented uh, of U.S. citizens. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to Trump, and Trump just wants to ban 150 million people, they say, sure, why not? They don't see as big of a problem. It's distressing to watch. I don't think that they are conscious of their own bias. But Anthony Kennedy and John Roberts are Republicans, and they just trust Republican presidents more than they trust Democrats. And, but it's also uh, disheartening because it, it seems, uh, you know, you, you note at Slate that the, first, uh, the uh, Fourth Circuit blocked uh, the ban previously on constitutional grounds. They said it, quote, drips with religious intolerance, animus, and discrimination. The Ninth Circuit blocked it as well on different grounds, saying that Trump had exceeded the scope of of the authority delegated to him by Congress through the Immigration and National uh, Nationality Act and uh, Trump's own administration, his own DHS. We saw two memos last year that seemed to undercut his own rationale for the travel ban based on national security. The DHS found in one uh, internal document that most foreign-born U.S.-based violent extremists, in fact, are radicalized years after arriving here, making it difficult, if not impossible, to screen for such people when they come to the U.S. And another DHS document leaked out last year uh, found uh, the DHS concluded that, quote, the country of citizenship is unlikely to be a reliable indicator of potential terrorist activity. So all the courts, Trump's own DHS, all find various reasons for this to be blocked. And yet we are now looking at a Supreme Court who might say, it's fine. Go do it anyway. Yep. It's devastating, and I, again, hope against hope that I am wrong, that my predictions are wrong. Um, but Republicans uh, stole this seat for a reason, and uh, yep. they are increasingly hostile toward Muslims and immigrants. This, I think, will be uh, you know, a, a sterling example for them as to why they held that seat and as to why they put Gorsuch on the court. I just don't see five votes to strike it down. All right, let's uh, finish up here with something that uh, may, may be better news here very quickly. Uh, last week, that stolen Supreme Court uh, and it's a stolen uh, seat filled by Justice Neil Gorsuch. Well, Gorsuch voted for the first time with the court's liberals to knock down a law that had allowed immigrants charged with violent crimes to be deported. The law was struck down, uh, as I understand it, because the majority opinion, the uh, four liberals and Gorsuch, of all people, uh, found that the definition of violent crime in that statute allowing uh, you know immigrants to be deported if they had a, vi- a history of violent crime uh, that that statute, that definition of violent crime was too vague. So what should we make, Mark Joseph Stern of Gorsuch? Gorsuch throwing in with the lefties here. 
Well, first, we should definitely applaud him for doing the right thing. You know, I will say that he gets his due. Gorsuch cast a vote correctly. This, this law was really ambiguous. It was so vague, really impossible to figure out what it did and did not cover. Uh, and so I give Gorsuch credit for voting with the liberals to strike it down. But I will add that I am not convinced he necessarily did it for the right reason. Uh, Gorsuch wrote a separate opinion, concurring in part, uh, in which he went on this lovely little uh, uh, spiel about how uh, really the threat to liberty is the administrative state and regulations uh, and, you know, licensing regulations and maybe even environmental and business regulations, and that all of these regulations may be too vague to comport mm. with the Constitution. That is very troubling, because mm. it appears to me and many other observers that what Gorsuch is doing is using his liberal vote in this case, uh, which is a strange case. There are not that many federal statutes that are as ambiguous as this one, uh, using this vote to lay the groundwork for future votes that will cut back on the authority of, say, the Environmental Protection Agency or the CFPB mm. uh, or other federal agencies that actually do good work in protecting consumers and Americans from harm. Uh, so this was, yes, a good vote. He deserves our applause. But we should keep in mind that the reason he's doing it is to further his own agenda, which is not at all in line with progressive values. And here I was trying to finish with something encouraging. And as usual, Mark Joseph Stern, <laughs> you have ruined it. Thank you. Uh, Mark Very Joseph. sorry about that. I know. You got to do it. Uh, and you're right. You're absolutely right. And I am quite worried about it as well. Uh, but, hey, we got a momentary uh, uh, some good news coming out of this horrible U.S. Supreme Court. So I'll take it. Uh, Mark Joseph Stern uh, covers the law, the court system, the Supreme Court and everything else over at Slate.com. He is a must read on these issues. He's also a must follow on the Twitters where you can find him at MJS underscore DC. Mark, we will try to not make it such a long time until we have you back next time. Okay, I look forward to depressing you again in the near future. You always do. Thank you, my friend. Okay, uh, speaking of uh, always ruining everything, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. It's not easy to become a law, is it? No, but how I hope and pray that I will, but today I am still just a bill. He signed your bill. 
now you're a lord. Oh, yes. <laughs> that was, uh, of course, you you will recall, I'm Just a Bill from Schoolhouse Rock, uh, the man who taught thousands of kids and adults about grammar and math and, yes, government uh, through song. Died today, Bob Duro, the creator of Schoolhouse Rock, passed away at the age of 94 on Tuesday. His granddaughter, Corin Wolf, uh, didn't disclose the exact cause of death, but told CNN uh, that he was diagnosed with cancer last year. Uh, from Conjunction Junction to I'm Just a Bill, Doro's upbeat tunes helped educate thousands of viewers about simple math functions, rules of grammar, and the legislative process. And in fact, everything that I actually know about government. <laughs> I, I would say from... millions of kids in America, not just thousands. He's the reason that I actually have memorized the preamble to the Constitution. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Schoolhouse Rock premiered in 1973, ran on ABC for some 12 years, came back in the 90s for five more years. And of course, today you can listen to those songs in uh, YouTube videos with that have uh, millions of viewers where I suspect they will keep on educating uh, generations of kids. Sad to see him go, but happy those songs live on. All right, let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. Mr. Hard has no clients that has business before this agency. Contrary to denials, lobbyists tied to EPA chief's condo did lobby the agency. So, yes, I'm going to send them a check for the monies that America had promised. Former New York Mayor Bloomberg donates $4.5 million to help U.S. keep Paris Climate Accord promise. Court reinstates fines for automakers that violate fuel economy standards, plus... Using natural thermometers such as measurements of tree rings and ice cores, Mann says he has been able to calculate ancient temperatures to a fraction of a degree. The 20th anniversary of the famous hockey stick graph. All of those anniversaries and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and... And snarky comment. But one thing is certain, the heat is on. Global temperatures for the first three months of 1998 were the warmest on record. Are we still playing that record? Yep. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, EPA Chief Scott Pruitt, leading our Green News Report Yet again today? Oh, yes, he is. New revelations suggest that Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Scott Pruitt was less than forthright when defending his below-market rental deal from the wife of an energy lobbyist in Washington, D.C. In an interview with Fox News in early April, Pruitt claimed that renting from a lobbyist was not at all a conflict of interest. Why does it matter when the ethics officials look at the lease and the terms of the lease to determine whether it's ethical Why does it matter? It's because you're renting it from the wife of a lobbyist. Yeah. Who has no business before this agency. Hold on a second. Uh, Mr. Hart... Mr. Mr. Hart has no clients that has business before this agency. Turns out that's not true. What? The lobbyist in question, J. Stephen Hart, resigned from his lobbying firm on Friday after new lobbying disclosures showed that Hart did indeed lobby the EPA while Pruitt was leading it and was actually present in at least one meeting with Pruitt in an official capacity. So the lobbyist had to quit for doing his job. The EPA chief... 
He has yet to quit, even though he's wildly corrupt. Right. Hart denied that the meetings met the definition of lobbyist, but said he was retiring earlier than previously planned. (laughs) A small but growing handful of congressional Republicans have joined congressional Democrats in calling for Pruitt to resign. They can call all they want. Apparently, he's not answering the call. A win for consumers and the environment, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals ruled on Monday in favor of environmental groups by rejecting a Trump Department of Transportation attempt to delay fines levied on car manufacturers who violate federal fuel economy standards for cars and trucks. The fines had finally been updated to account for decades of inflation. In the meantime, the department has announced it plans to repeal those fines altogether. Meanwhile, former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg said he has volunteered to pay four and a half million dollars to cover a portion of the U.S. commitment to a United Nations fund to help developing countries deal with the impacts of global warming. That was part of the Paris Climate Agreement. The U.S. had pledged three billion dollars to the United Nations Green Climate Fund, but President Donald Trump reneged on that deal when he announced his decision to withdraw from the accord. In an interview with CBS News, Bloomberg said he feels a sense of responsibility. America made a commitment, and as an American, if the government's not going to do it, uh, we all have responsibility. I'm able to do it. So, yes, I'm going to send them a check for the monies that America had promised to the organization as though they got it from the federal government. Well, he's going to send them $4.5 of the $3 billion that we had promised, but uh, we appreciate the effort. Indeed. Finally, this past weekend marked the 20th anniversary of the publication of the famous hockey stick graph by climate scientist Dr. Michael Mann and his colleagues in the journal Nature. Mann's study used tree rings and ice core data to reconstruct past climate temperatures and showed that the planet's temperature had been relatively stable for 500 years and then, in the 20th century, dramatically and suddenly spiked upward like a hockey stick. Here he is in a 1998 CBS news report. We believe we are seeing the effect of human beings on the climate of the 20th century. The graph's publication in 1998 also marked the launch of an unprecedented attack campaign funded by the fossil fuel industry that attempted to discredit Dr. Mann and all climate scientists in order to confuse and mislead the public about the dangers of global warming. Since the release of the hockey stick graph, the science of man-made climate change has only gotten stronger, as have the real-world impacts. And now the oil industry is beginning to face mounting climate liability lawsuits. And they continue to face Michael Mann, who continues to push back. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. Had to bring uh, Dr. Michael Mann back on the show soon, too. It's I know, been a while it's been since we've long. had him. Uh, thank you very much, Desi Doyan. By the way, speaking of, uh, of Scott Pruitt, uh, we now have a, a fifth. A fifth Republican lawmaker calling on Scott Pruitt of the EPA to resign. And the White House is telling Republicans to tone down their defense, their defenses of Scott Pruitt. We shall see. 
as if to say he may be gone soon. We shall see indeed. All right, got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Mark Joseph Stern of Slate.com, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you wish. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. And my thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. All right, that's it. Until we meet again. We'll play out with a little bit of Schoolhouse Rock. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. And the preamble goes like this. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility. Provide for the common defense. Promote the general welfare and Secure the blessings of liberty To ourselves and our posterity Do ordain